Welcome to the Head First podcast. My name is Joe O'Brien. I'm a trainee health psychologist and the host of this podcast, where we talk about psychology, behavior change, and mental health. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find me on Instagram at headfirstzero or email me at joe at headfirst.ie. And if you're a health professional interested in psychology, you can check out my health psychology training course at headfirst.ie. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Why do people make excuses? Hello again to those of you who listen to my podcasts. It's been a while, I think six months since I last recorded a podcast. So I'm definitely a little rusty. Um, The reason for that is I've been finishing up work on my doctorate in health psychology. So I am still a trainee, but I'm very close to graduating. So um, all of my work and assignments are finally completed. And I'm waiting for a final feedback session before I submit my portfolio. So that meant that I've been kind of totally off the radar for the last six months and haven't really posted on Instagram, haven't made podcasts. Um, But I am recording with a new microphone and here I am. So um, yeah, a huge amount of ideas over the last six months. I've been storing them in the notes section of my phone. But I wanted to start today with an important one that has come up quite a bit over the last six months, but it came up recently when I was speaking to a colleague who's a nutritionist and the topic that is excuses or rather what people see as excuses. So why do people appear to make excuses or come up with reasons not to do things like exercise or any health related behavior? Or on the surface, it might look like people are making excuses, right? We've all been in those kind of situations, I I assume. Now, I want to start this podcast off by saying that people's reasons are entirely valid. I'm not here to dismiss people's struggles when trying to change their health behavior. Um, There are so many reasons why it's hard, so many barriers to being able to engage in certain health behaviors. And this is not a podcast to say everyone's excuses are invalid. Absolutely not. Um... I actually think it's really sad, really frustrating when when people do say things that totally dismiss those barriers. I think um, I saw recently Kim Kardashian had said that um, people just need to work harder and insinuated that people who aren't financially successful just aren't working hard enough. Um, and no, I don't watch her shows, but I saw I saw the clip. And I think the problem with that narrative is that people have very genuine reasons you know, including not being rich um, for not engaging in health behaviors. And people see maybe um, from her perspective, that is people making excuses, but they are very genuine reasons, you know, a lack of opportunity for people, um, a lack of time for people, a lot of maybe psychological pressure, maybe discrimination, maybe physical or mental health issues, even like as far as the location that someone's born, kind of privilege. You know, there are hundreds of reasons why someone might not be capable of engaging in health behaviors or, you know, inverted commas, working harder. And those reasons are really valid. Um, On the flip side, sometimes people's reasons for not doing health behaviors actually have a deeper layer or another reason. So they might say one thing, but maybe there's a deeper reason for that what looks on the surface as an excuse, maybe there's a deeper reason for that. And that's what I want to explore. I know people have very genuine reasons and this is not aimed at at those reasons. 
um, I guess this is aimed at trying to understand what's underneath some of the excuses or reasons that people do come up with not to engage in in health behaviours. So, I guess why do some people come up with what seems like on the surface an excuse? I guess I want to make sure that we're all on the same page from the start. I think we all know the types of reasons that I'm talking about. You know, the reasons that raise eyebrows um, from the outside anyway. Like, um, I don't know, I don't exercise because I have a bad shoulder. And some people might think, well, why don't you do exercise that doesn't hurt your bad shoulder? Or like, I don't like exercise. When maybe, again, from the outside, someone might perceive that as um, one of those one of those reasons, you know, that there must be another reason to just simply not liking it. Um, maybe there's other types of exercise to try. Or someone who doesn't exercise because I have housework to do. When on the surface, someone else might think um, maybe the housework can wait. So one person comes up with a, a reason. Um, they can feel that that's completely valid and legitimate, and sometimes it will be. And then other people might see, okay, there might be a way around that. So they're the types of reasons that I'm talking about. I don't even like calling them excuses, really, because to me, an excuse is when you kind of know you're getting out of jail. Um, or you, to me, an excuse is like when something isn't really justified. For example, you know, when you don't want to go to the social thing and you come up with like the worst excuses ever. And maybe they're not real reasons, you know, like maybe... I don't have money or my car is acting up or um, I know that one of the classics that I used to hear was I can't drink because I'm on antibiotics, so I'm not going to go. Um, and some people, you know, for some people, again, it's legitimate. Some people don't have money or their car is acting up or they're not well. But other people, they're consciously making an excuse to get out of an event, maybe that they have another reason for not going to. So they might all be seen as excuses, whereas people who come up with reasons for not doing a health behavior um, for me, sometimes it's not a deliberate or conscious decision. And I guess I wanted to try and explore that and understand why do people come up with those reasons, especially when others kind of critique those reasons or criticize them for it. And yeah, that's the bit I wanted to kind of explain a bit more. So here's the thing. Someone can consciously come up with an ingenuine reason, right? For example, I don't have money to go to the party when I do have money, but I just don't want to go. On the other hand, um, people can genuinely feel like their reason is legitimate, even if other people poke holes in it. And this is, again, what I want to explore. Why would anyone subconsciously or consciously actually be coming up with a reason not to do something that would be seen as beneficial? How could someone come up with a rationale for not doing something without it being deliberate? And in order to understand that, I think, I guess to start, I want you to think of people, how people are treated when they try to make changes, especially those who are maybe trying to change their diet um, specifically. Think about, firstly, how the media treat people who gain weight or lose weight. So celebrities are applauded, for losing weight and on the flip side, you know, decades of magazines and public um, social media and like um, advertisements and, and stuff like that, um, criticizing people for weight gain, people being slaughtered online, right? So the underlying piece to that is we're taught that 
weight gain is bad. Weight gain is always bad. And weight loss is always good. The smaller, the better most of the time, right? Secondly, think about how people are treated and actually how they're kind of blamed when they try to change, but don't change. So think about like weight loss groups around the world. When someone weighs in in front of lots of people who are in the same boat, and if they don't achieve their target or their goal, how they might be potentially criticized, or even if they're not criticized, how would they feel, right? They might feel ashamed or disappointed in front of a group, like literally publicly feeling ashamed. And then there's the wider belief that the reason for that is that someone didn't want it enough, or someone has no willpower, or someone is too indulgent, or they're weak. And I guess just to clarify, that's absolutely false. Um, it's nothing to do with how much someone wants it. So there's the wider belief in the narrative that if you don't succeed at changing, it's a personal flaw, right? How would anyone feel after any of those experiences? Horrible, right? Like that, they are not nice things to be on the other end of for anybody. And then I think back to the reality TV shows that are focused on weight loss, like The Biggest Loser. And I think of that tough love approach that many people think that they need. And it's basically, we'll shame people into changing. Make people feel so bad about themselves, so scared about their health, and be really harsh, be really rigid. People disguise it as, you know, um, tough love or uh, the hard truths but underlying that it's we'll shame people into change and we'll be really hard on them until they do again horrific right watching some of those clips and, and those shows um, makes me sick so I guess again to clarify on that shame has been shown in the research to be a very poor motivator for long term change you cannot shame someone into change. You cannot tough love someone into change. I don't even know where that originated, but that's what people think that they need. Um, it's not correlated with success. Now think about how people are treated when they do try engaging in any kind of health behavior or behavior change. Even family and friends making comments like, how long are you going to last this time? <laughs> or things like, Oh, you're trying again. <laughs> it's almost like being laughed at or being mocked. Or the insinuation is, this will just be a failed attempt, right? Again, if, if anyone was on the other end of that, how would they feel? Pretty unhappy, I'd imagine. A lot of judgment, potentially a lot of shame. It wouldn't bring up good feelings, right? And even without other people's comments, judgment, the media, even without all of that. How does it feel when anyone tries something and it doesn't work out? Again, most of the time, doesn't feel good. Pretty deflating. So there's some examples of how it feels to try and change only for it not to work out. If things don't go perfectly, it often ends up with feelings of disappointment, feelings of shame, embarrassment, maybe guilt. And that's where I want to start. Okay. 
So understanding that, that's part one. Part two is thinking about human beings more generally. Humans are really good at avoiding or trying to avoid discomfort. Let's say we're standing beside a group who are shouting and screaming amongst themselves. We instinctively move away from them or we try and avoid them. If we walk up to them on the street, you know, we don't want to feel threatened. We don't want to feel unsafe. Maybe we just don't like the noise. So we avoid that. Or when we feel anxious and we're fidgeting or we're bouncing our leg or tapping our fingers, we're trying our best to regulate ourselves. We're trying not to feel as uncomfortable as we feel. Or if we ever feel like we're about to cry and we take those big, deep breaths to try and stop it. Or even as far as our friends talking about something maybe distressing or something we are uncomfortable with and we quickly cut them off and we say, oh, I don't want to hear about that. Oh, wait, wait, don't, don't, don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. And we shut it down. All of these are little ways that humans try and avoid discomfort or just manage how we feel. And it's normal. It's entirely normal. We don't like doing uncomfortable things. It's typical. And people try and avoid them. Simple as that. So how does that apply to making excuses or not doing a health behavior? A health behavior isn't supposed to be uncomfortable, right? It's supposed to make people feel better. It's good for them. Why would that be an uncomfortable thing, right? That's probably a question people are asking themselves. I want you to think of all the things I just mentioned. How many challenging emotions come with trying to change your behavior? Exercise or eating differently or any of it. It can all be associated for some people with those difficult feelings. Like, I've met people who won't tell their family that they're trying to make changes because their family laugh at those attempts or they're not supportive or they're judged. I've spoken with people who won't go to a gym because their coach or trainer gave them the tough love approach and made them feel horrific. So when people are making excuses, inverted commas, making excuses or coming up with reasons to avoid these health behaviors, that can be a protective mechanism to keep someone safe from exposing themselves to those horrible feelings. As human beings, we're trying our best to keep ourselves safe out of harm's way. And if we've associated those health behaviors and those attempts with feelings of shame, feelings of embarrassment, disappointment, judgment, of course, we're going to want to avoid it. It's literally human nature. And I guess tying this back into excuses. Rather than thinking people are making excuses, the way I sometimes look at it is that people are sometimes trying to protect themselves or keep themselves safe from really big, really challenging emotions that come with trying to change your behavior. And, and, and people can do this without conscious awareness. So some people obviously are aware of that, but some people aren't. For example, 
let's say a person makes lengthy to-do lists and they stay busy all the time so that they literally don't have time to look after themselves or to even try and improve their health behaviours. They might stick with the narrative of, I'm too busy to fit in exercise, I'm too busy to cook my own meals or whatever. But subconsciously, they might be creating their own busyness so that they never have to face the challenge of trying to change their health behaviour. The reality of the situation might be that maybe the person could actually make changes. But it would mean potentially facing the fear of failure, feelings of shame, maybe feelings of being judged. And maybe the chronic busyness is a great protective mechanism to keep that person from feeling those difficult feelings. Again, very understandable. Another example, maybe the person who just doesn't have the headspace to try and change right now, you know, they just have too much going on. They've also committed themselves to extra work hours. They've taken up a hobby. They've signed up to an evening education course. And when they do have the time, maybe they say, oh, well, I have too much going on. I feel too overwhelmed. It's, it's not the right time. Again, this isn't deliberate. This isn't someone, in commas, making excuses. And it feels so valid. It is valid. And at the same time, Maybe they're unaware that they're setting up a situation where they don't have to try and change. Therefore, they don't have to feel some of those difficult feelings. Again, protective. The reason people like this don't change isn't really because they're too busy. Maybe it contributes. Because sometimes that is within someone's control, right? And I have to stress, sometimes, because some people don't have control over their time. Some people don't have control over what resources they have or opportunities they have. I'm not saying everyone has capacity, right? I'm not saying everyone can just change their circumstances. What I am saying is that for some people, the reasons people see on the outside, that might not be the genuine underlying reason. And I think it's helpful to understand what is actually below those surface level excuses. I've certainly worked with people and spoke with people who have, you know, they've cancelled and come up with uh, an excuse for a social thing or a family thing or whatever um, because other things are going on. And I guess I want people to see the same thing when people are struggling with their health behaviours because there can be 101 very valid reasons underlying the surface level thing that some people are critical of or judgmental of. So yeah, what's below some of those surface level reasons? Um, the first thing for me that pops to mind is, is fear. What will family say? What will other people say? Fear of, fear of judgment, really. Um, and that's why a lot of people want to change but keep it to themselves, I think. And the second thing that kind of ties in with that is shame. The feeling of not being good enough, not feeling capable, um, the feeling of, well, I have to be perfect. If I don't change, I'm not going to be liked. Um, nobody likes me as I am. Or like I'm bad in some way or I'm doing something wrong. And trying to change and subsequently failing to change can reinforce some of those really challenging feelings. Both of these things are incredibly valid, I have to say. Because if you think of everything I've mentioned so far, um, of how people have been treated, think about the messages we get from the media, 
think about how most of us have learned that if we don't succeed, we won't be accepted or we'll be judged. Like most of us will have learned that not changing means you're a failure. So maybe we can understand how changing behavior might bring up some really challenging feelings for people and the associations that it can have for them. And it's obvious that, of course, why would they want to try again? Of course, they're going to want to make ways to keep themselves safe from those difficult feelings. And the last thing that I, I do want to mention is the concept of learned helplessness. So that's a state in which um, someone has tried so often without success that they learn to stop trying entirely. And just to explain that concept first, um, I'll go back to Martin Seligman's experiment on dogs. Some people might have heard of this, but it's the learned helplessness experiment. What he did in his experiments was he exposed dogs to electric shocks. And for some dogs, the electric shocks were unavo unavoidable. So I want you to imagine a small dog in a big wooden box. And the box is divided into two sides. The floor on each side of that box can deliver a shock but it doesn't always deliver a shock. So the researchers decide when, it, when they're going to administer a shock. Now, I'm not going to go into detail on the experiments. Um, however, when the dogs were being shocked on both sides of that box and the shocks were kind of unavoidable, what did the dogs do? The dogs just gave up. They lay down and they just stopped trying because they tried to avoid the shock. It didn't work. They just stopped. They gave up. And this lack of trying continued even when the shocks were turned off on one side of the box. So the dogs could have theoretically avoided the shock. They could have moved to the other side of the box if they kept trying. So even when the dogs could avoid a shock, even when the researchers changed it so that the dogs could avoid the shock, they didn't even bother trying. They lay down on one side where they were being shocked and they just accepted it because they had tried and tried and failed to the point that it felt inevitable. So what the dogs learned in that situation was that I've tried so often to avoid this shock and I failed to the point where I'm just not going to try anymore. And I think this can happen to people when trying to change their behavior. They've tried so often to change, often with the wrong support or just like using impossible, unsustainable approaches. And they've tried so often that they might not have belief that they're capable of changing. Maybe they've learned that everything I've tried hasn't worked. So why would I try? Why would I try again? Because I've tried things and they haven't worked. And I guess that's where I want to offer, I guess, some help, um, some optimism, I guess. When people have this idea that I've tried everything, I want you to remember that most things people try today have a massive failure rate. Anywhere from 60 to 95% of people who try a weight loss diet, for example, actually maintain that change in the long term. To me, that's evidence enough to conclude that the way we've been doing things traditionally is not working. I don't want people to feel like, well, I've tried everything and failed. Because you've probably tried things that fail for most people. Um, actually, you've probably tried things that have set you up to fail. So I want you to imagine this. Imagine I gave you a Rubik's Cube and your job was to solve it. And you spent 
days, maybe weeks, maybe years trying to solve it. I'm sure you'd feel pretty shitty if you couldn't solve it. However, what if I told you that you weren't the problem, but I had manipulated the Rubik's Cube so that it was impossible? Right, I gave you an, uh, uh, an unsolvable Rubik's Cube. I assume you would forgive yourself, right? You would tell yourself, well, of course I couldn't do it. The problem is in the product itself. The product itself was flawed. I'm, I didn't fail at that because it was impossible. There was a problem with the product. That's how I want people to see dietary and health changes. The flaw is in the approach and the product, not in the person. The programs and approaches people use right now, like the Weight Watchers of the world and the Slimming Worlds, um, and most of the others, have set people up to fail for years. They are flawed. And the people who have not been able to follow their approaches are not flawed. So tying this back to excuses, I guess, what I want people to understand is that making excuses can be conscious or subconscious for people. And sometimes those reasons are, I guess they're made so that we can keep ourselves safe and not feel really uncomfortable feelings, or at least reduce the potential to be hurt. If we've been conditioned to associate making changes with all of those horrible feelings that it comes with, it makes perfect sense that people find it hard to confront those things. So even if you're a coach listening to this or, or someone who thinks... Um, maybe they identify with this. Um, if you're someone who maybe has deeper reasons for avoiding making changes or not wanting to try again, I guess I do want to leave you with something practical. And again, like my first suggestion for people is always to work with someone who has insight into this, um, if possible. But again, not everyone has that that ability. So. Again, one, maybe one place to start, um, how we can kind of get over that is, I guess if you're someone who feels overwhelmed by the prospect of trying again, a very simple and very underused approach is starting small, right? You've heard that a million times. Um, I don't want you to switch off quite yet. I'll explain how small um, I mean right now. Most people, when they try and start to change, they try and start at the finish line. And what I mean by that is they decide, for example, I want to home cook three meals a day. And they just decide that that's what they do from now on. However, that's not the place to start if you've identified with this podcast, right? If you're one of those people, or maybe you're a coach and you have clients um, that are similar to this. The reason you don't start there is because that's the end goal. There are many, many steps to go between when someone starts and reaching their end goal. And taking things slow and repeating the actions over time, even if they're small actions, is far more effective at building a habit than massive changes for a short per period of time. Massive changes in a short period do not create long-term change. Small actions that are repeated over time are likely to, are more likely to create change. So how does that work in practice? Let's take that example of wanting to cook home cooked meals, three meals a day, every day of the week. That might start with someone home cooking breakfast 
on weekends. Now I can hear people in my head, that's too slow, right? Or that's too easy. Or that's not enough to make change. When you set a smaller target and actually achieve it, people start to build a bit of belief, a bit of self-belief. Well, I'm capable of doing it two days. I can, you know, I'm capable on weekends. Maybe I could do it one day during the week and turns into three days. Maybe after that, someone might start cooking breakfast the odd morning um, and two or three months later, they keep building on their tiny little changes and they're making breakfast every day. But before they started, before they ever tried this, they were aiming to make everything every day, but ended up making nothing because it was too big. It was too much too soon. And that's what I mean by starting small. I mean, super small. Look at what your end goal is and look at all the steps it takes to get there. Don't start at the end goal because that could be setting yourself up to fail and potentially setting yourself up to feel some of those really difficult feelings. Again, you can do this with exercise too if you want to run a 5k, but like that's incredibly overwhelming. You don't get there by running 5k's all the time. You don't start training for a 5k by running a 5k. Maybe you walk first, maybe two kilometers until you get comfortable. Maybe after a few weeks or a few months, 3k is comfortable. Maybe after a few more weeks or months, 4k might be comfortable. Over time, you don't just build physical capacity, you build belief. You show yourself that you are capable. And it's funny because that's kind of correcting the narrative that maybe has uh, that, I guess, correcting the narrative that people have been um, bombarded with for decades. You know, the narrative of um, going on these programs or trying these behavior change interventions and not succeeding, it reinforces the narrative that you are not capable, that there's something wrong with you. And that narrative is not correct. It's not helpful. And this approach helps you prove to yourself that you are capable. However, if you go for everything at once and it's not achievable, you might actually reinforce those difficult feelings. So with that, I will leave you with lower the bar for yourself and be kind to yourself during the process, even when it's overwhelming. I hope that's been helpful. Um, it's good to be back with my new mic. <laughs> Any feedback, always welcome. And please share this with someone if you feel like it might be helpful. Chat soon.